Well, welcome everybody to downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys checking us out. So it is a good day for you guys to be visiting us. We are kicking off this brand new series that we're calling Seemingly Impossible. I think the bumper did a great job kind of walking you through what it's about, but let me just dive a little bit deeper to give you some context. So at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, right before he kind of went back to heaven, he grabbed all of his disciples together and he said, okay, let me kind of give you some marching orders because I'm, I'm out of here and I need to sort of pass the torch, so to speak. And so here's what I need you guys to do. I need you to go out into the world. I need you to make disciples of every single nation, baptize those disciples. And then I want you to teach them my commands. And so the question is, okay, what are Jesus' commands? Because we're familiar with the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, all that kind of a thing. But, but what did Jesus actually say? And so if you're one of the disciples and you began to kind of pull out your notes and kind of go through all the things that he said, a pattern does begin to emerge that, yes, in fact, Jesus was giving us commands that he would repeat time and time again. And when you lay them out and you looked at all these commands, it became clear that these commands were actually seemingly impossible for us to accomplish. Y very simple in structure, right? Very succinct, very simple, nice little sound bites, but extremely demanding. So much so that you look at them and you go, is this, e is this even possible? I mean, can we even, can we even do these things, Jesus, that you're asking us to do? And so over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to spend some time taking a look at five of these commands that Jesus spoke about. And I, I want to do it almost through the filter as though you guys are first century brand new Christians, that you are the ones that the disciples have baptized, that you are the ones that they are now educating you, teaching you about what these commands of Jesus are. So imagine if you will, 50 AD, okay? First century, you guys are all brand new Christians. You really don't know much about the Bible at all. Let's pretend like you're not Jewish. Let's pretend like it's all brand new. You have no familiarity at all with the Old Testament. All you know is that Jesus was resurrected. That's it. Disciples, they pull you in the room. They say, okay, here's what I need you to do. Get, some, get a, a sheet of loose leaf paper out, would you? And then at the top, okay, just write, thou shalt not. Because this is obviously, you know, every good command is written in Elizabethan English. This is Shakespeare. We know this. This is, you know, Jesus spoke like Shakespeare. Duh, okay? So right at the top, just like thou shalt not. Because we're going to, I'm going to just give you a couple. We're just going to do one for today. We're going to do the one that Jesus seemed to like the best. So are you ready? Thou shalt not fear. Hmm? Kill. No, fear. <laughs> thou shalt not fear. And, and maybe you're like, you know, you're in the room and you're kind of like, uh, what was that one? Yeah, that, yeah don't, don't be afraid. You're like, you, you don't understand that? Let me, let me give it to you in a different translation because, because maybe you're not a, a King James Version guy. Maybe you're like a NIV kind of a person. Jesus said, fear not. Fear not. That's your command. That's the one you got to do. Now, if I were in that room when I first heard this, I would kind of be like, okay, uh, how do I say this? Disciples, you are, you're great guys. Okay, you've been very welcoming to me. I just appreciate the hospitality. Jesus, love him, right? He obviously knows what he's talking about, but are you serious with this one? Because like this seems like you're, like you're punking me. This seems like, I mean, I get like you telling me not to kill somebody. That one, I can, I can handle that one. But this one, this seems like, mm, I, I'm not sure. 
But yeah, this is a real one. And I just love the fact that Jesus would just go around saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, fear not, don't let your heart be troubled. And it, it reminded me of something my mom would tell me when I was younger. So many of you know this. I talk about this all the time. I'm a hypochondriac, okay? So I come up here and I always tell you what's wrong with me. And as a hypochondriac, what I do is I spend excessive amount of times just listening into my own body, looking for things that are wrong, okay? And so when I was younger, my mom was aware of this, but often I would go to her and I would say, uh, mom, we got a problem. And she knows the drill. Okay, what's, what do you got today? And I said, well, this is how, okay, so it's the weirdest thing, but like when I bring my arm back like this and I kind of, I like twist at like the wrist and then I like do this, and she, now she's like watching me do this, you know, you know display, and, I go, and you kind of do this, it hurts in here. Like it makes like a popping noise. And, and she would just look right at me and she goes, well, don't do that then. <laughs> and I go, thank you very much, mom. Very sympathetic to your, your kid with all kinds of issues, okay? But really, in an unsarcastic way, this is like what Jesus is telling us. He, whatever, you know, you go to him and you go, well, Jesus, I, I, I'm afraid of this, okay? And he just goes, well, then don't be afraid, okay? Just, just, well, just don't be afraid. Thank you, Jesus. Very, very helpful. But when you read the gospel accounts, it's just, it's very clear. Time and time and time again, he just continually repeats, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, fear not, don't be afraid. So one day, he brings all of his disciples into a room because he's got work for them to do, okay? And he goes, all right, so here's what I'm, I'm going to do, guys. I need to, I got to send you out there. Got a couple of things I need you to be doing out there for me. And just, just so you know, I just want just to put this on your radar. Um, I am sending you out like sheeps among wolves. Generally speaking, this is not how you want to hear your, like, self-described as, okay? It's like, okay, you're, gonna, you're going against the big team. It's going to be a great day. You're going out there like sheeps against wolves. Oh, wonderful. Great. Where do I sign up for that? You want Jesus to be like, I'm sending you out like a Tyrannosaurus Rex among ants. That, that is what I want my Savior to be saying about me. But he goes, no, sorry, guys. This is kind of like a sheeps among wolves kind of a deal, okay? And just so you're not surprised, because I just, you know, I'm just— if I'm nothing, I'm honest, okay? Some of you are going to get arrested. Um, a few of you are going to get beaten. Um, and you're all pretty much going to have to sacrifice at great levels. But don't be afraid. It's going to be just fine, okay? And here's what he actually says. He goes, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. See, for these disciples, you have to understand that for them, their foremost fear was Death by persecution. They, they were not afraid of, of getting, the, you know, uh, their house foreclosed on. They were not afraid of, you know, their marriage falling apart. For them, there was a real fear that their heads were going to get lopped off. And Jesus was saying, look, look, look. Even if they lop your heads off, you, 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 don't, you don't need to be afraid. It's not a problem. He goes, you know what? Actually, if you want to be afraid, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Hold on, Jesus, wait, wait. First you said not to be afraid. Now you're telling me to be afraid, and I should be afraid of God? Well, what, what are we talking about here? We'll get into that in a second. Jesus continues. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So, okay, in light of that, don't be afraid. 
okay? You are worth more than many sparrows. So if you're like the disciples and you hear this for the very first time, because probably some of you are hearing it for the first time, I imagine the disciples were like, hold on. You told us you're sending us out there and you listed a bunch of bad stuff that was going to happen to us. And you said, don't be afraid, okay? Then you said, be afraid of God. Then you said, we're like a sparrow, so don't be afraid. Then you told us the sparrow's going to die. So, so what you, what are we, what's going on here, Jesus? We're, you've, you've lost us somewhere along the way. See, the reason we get lost is because this topic of fear is confusing. It, it's a difficult one for us as humans to kind of wrestle around with. And Jesus knows this. In fact, Jesus has been working heavily with the disciples to try to help them understand this command of don't be afraid. Specifically, he's been using water to help them understand it. So about two chapters before this conversation takes place, Jesus was teaching uh, to a very large crowd. <clears throat> and at the end of the teaching, he was beginning to get a little overwhelmed by the size of the crowd. And, and, and so he wasn't able to just jump into like a blacked out Escalade and get away. For him, he gets into a boat. And it's often why he teaches near the water so that he can get into a boat and he can go away. That's where the story picks up for the day. It says this. Then he, that's Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. So you have to remember that a lot of these original disciples were fishermen. So they're well acquainted with that water. They're well acquainted with the boat, okay? And, and they know exactly what's happening right now. And you have to also remember that the boat that they're in is not like some 80-foot Viking you see down here, you know, along you know, 15th Street. This is like a rowboat, basically. It's a larger rowboat. There may be a sail, but these guys know that this is not a good situation. This is bad, and they're scared to death. And this whole time, Scripture says, that Jesus is sleeping. It kind of reminds me of the Jonah story that we've just been talking about for the last three weeks. Now, the scripture doesn't say this, but I actually like to believe that he was probably fake sleeping them at the moment. You know, when you're kind of like doing one of these things, like you as parents, you know, when you fake sleep your kids? Because I think he was listening in to see how the disciples were going to react. What are these guys going to do when this bad, how are they going to, meanwhile, they're running around with like their hair on fire, okay? They, they're just, they're screaming, okay? So what they do is they go, they grab Jesus. It says this. The disciples went, they woke him up, and they said, Lord, save us, okay? We're, we're going to drown here, okay? What are you doing down there? He's sleeping. Get up, okay? So he gets up. It says this. You of little faith. You of little faith. Why are you so afraid? And I have to imagine the disciples are like, oh, gosh, I didn't think I had to give you a reason. I mean, look around. It's not good, okay? Jesus, we know you're a carpenter, okay? But you can take it from us. We're sailors. We're fishermen. This is not a good scene. Okay, you see this water coming over the side? That's not a good thing. You don't want that to be happening. We're going down. We're all going to drown. And so Jesus just sees the absolute panic in their voices. He sees the look of fear on, the, on their faces. And so here's what he does. He gets up. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And it was completely calm. An instant, that furious, vicious storm ends. And the water is just like glass. It's all over. And then something very interesting happens. Scripture says the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. 
Even the wind and the waves obey him. In this moment, the fear that these disciples had for this furious storm has now been eclipsed by their fear of Jesus. And this is a major part in their faith journey. Let me just explain to you what's going on. Remember, Jesus said to them, don't be afraid of the one who can only kill your body. Be afraid of the one who can kill your body and your soul. And in this moment, okay, in this moment, as they're terrified from Jesus, they are beginning to understand the term fear God. Fear God. Now, let me talk a little bit about this phrase, because this is a very confusing phrase for us. You, you may have heard the term like, I'm going to put the fear of God in somebody. Okay? Maybe you've read the Old Testament, and you see often the Jewish people had fear of the Lord, or, or, they, or they feared God. And, you, and, and, and we kind of hear this, and we go, I don't, I don't get that. I mean, I love Jesus. I love God. God is love. Why are we supposed to be afraid of God? Why would Jesus tell us to fear God, fear the one who's in control of your soul? Part of the problem is, and I'm just going to give you the Reader's Digest of this whole thing, so don't email me later when I didn't go deep enough. I know that, but this is good enough for today, okay? Part of the problem is, is that when they use the word fear in the Scriptures, what they're trying to say is almost having a reverence for God. That when you fear God, it's you recognizing that you are dealing with the creator of the universe. You are recognizing his magnitude, his glory. You are recognizing your lowly status in the presence of someone so great and so phenomenal. That's what it means to fear God. To come at it from a different angle, using a different word, a lot of times in Christian songs, you'll hear them refer to God as like an awesome God. We serve an awesome God. It doesn't mean that God was like totally rad, okay? okay? It means that God, when you are in his presence, you are filled with awe. You are awestruck. It's like, whoa, God. That is what fearing God means. So this boat lesson, that ends. It didn't go very well, okay? But the lesson on fear is not done yet. Jesus realized these guys are nowhere near finished in understanding what it means to not be afraid. So we spin a couple of chapters further in the New Testament, and we get to a different account where Jesus has just now finished doing a phenomenal miracle where he fed 5,000 people with just five loaves and seven fishes, or maybe the other way around, I don't remember, okay? But the disciples are actually a part of this miracle. They're the ones that are actually holding the baskets. They're the ones seeing the bread. They're the ones seeing the fishes multiplied before their very eyes. And as soon as this miracle is done, Matthew picks up the story, says this. Immediately after this, immediately, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat. Now, take a look at that word, insisted. That's an unusual word to see there. Why do you think it says insisted? I think because they didn't want to get in that boat, okay? Because they knew the last time Jesus told them to get in the boat, it didn't go well, okay? The last time they got into that boat on that water with Jesus, a bad storm came, they almost drowned, and they didn't want to do it. They were afraid. And fear was now impacting their life. Fear was now driving them to almost a negative interaction with God. It's now pushing them away from what God wants. And that tells me that if left unchecked, 
fear can become a God in your life. Absolutely. I absolutely believe that fear and God will compete with each other for your attention. For some of you, I think the voice of fear may be the loudest voice in your head. Telling you what you can do, telling you what you can't do, whispering in your ear that God's not going to take care of you, that God's not going to be there for you. And I think some of us have handed the reins of our life over to fear. You drive. You're in control. For some of us, maybe all of us, fear is calling the shots. It wasn't the disciples' life in that moment. That's why Jesus sees this and he insists that they get back in the boat. Get in the boat, okay? Get in the boat. See you guys. Get in that boat. Amazingly, they obey. They listen, okay? They put their fear aside. They listen to Jesus. They get in that boat. They leave Jesus on the shore, and they start rowing their way into the, the lake's fine. We're just low, rowing away, okay? After this, okay? It says this. After sending them home, meaning after Jesus has now dismissed the crowd. He fed them, okay? They're all feeling good now. He sends them home. He went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. So picture this. The disciples are now rowing in the boat. Jesus is now up in the mountain, kind of like looks over the water, but he's up there praying by himself. So while he's praying, it says, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. So remember what we've talked about so far. In the first boat trip, the storm came, Jesus was sleeping, and they were scared. In the second boat trip, the storm came. Now Jesus is nowhere to be found. They're, they are literally all by themselves in this boat. As far as they're concerned, God has completely abandoned them. And things are getting worse, and the weather is degrading, and they are scared. Three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. They were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But immediately, Jesus said to them, fail, okay, guys, come on. What are you doing here, okay? You should have seen this coming. I mean, I send you on the boat, a storm comes, you know this already. How many times have we done it? Don't you remember the last time you went in the boat and the storm came and you got scared and what did I do? I fake sleep you, but then I woke up, okay? And I made it all go away and you weren't afraid anymore. I mean, once again, guys, once again, look at me, guys, once again, once again. You were afraid when there was something to be afraid of. Guys, this is now the second time I have run this drill with you. Have you not learned that you don't need to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of? Immediately, Jesus said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. And in this moment, I like to think that it begins to dawn on the disciples what Jesus is trying to do in their life. And, and I imagine them saying, oh, wait, okay, hold on. So when we were in the boat, when, when, when you weren't with us, you were actually watching us. Yes, exactly. Because there's going to come a time very soon when I'm no longer going to be with you, but I'm watching you. A and just as you were fine when you were in the boat when I was sleeping and you didn't need to be afraid, just as when you were in the boat by yourself, but I knew where you were and you didn't need to be afraid, you don't 
need to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. Now, part of the problem that Jesus is contending with in this moment, part of the problem that he struggles even with us, is that Jesus knows that something has entered our DNA. Something has wiggled itself into all of our DNA, and that's fear. See, when sin entered the world, fear entered our hearts. God did not create us to be fearful creatures. That is not how he designed us to be. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that we now live in a fallen world. Jesus knows that we now live in a world where true evil exists. Jesus knows that we live in a world where death is now a reality. And because that's the case, we try to protect ourselves. And we try to protect ourselves using fear. But here's the problem. Our bodies, they don't like fear. Because the human body hates uncertainty. And really, that's what fear is. Fear is uncertainty. Because we as humans, we want to know exactly what's going to happen to us. I, I just want to know exactly what's going to happen. We want to know for certain that we're going to be okay. And when we don't know for certain what's going to happen to us, when we don't know for certain that we're going to be okay, we become afraid. And here's what I think Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. Here's what I think Jesus wants every single one of us to know. When you live on this earth, when you walk these grounds, okay, uncertainty is for certain. But fear is optional. You don't have to live that way. That's why Jesus famously said, when he went to the disciples, and he goes, look, 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 I'm going back to the Father soon, okay? But I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. He goes, don't, don't, don't allow yourself to be afraid. Don't allow yourself to get scared because, because, I may not be with you, but I am with you. So you may find yourself in a storm, just like the disciples. And I don't know what that is in your life, okay? I don't know if it's a loss of employment. I don't know if a marriage has fallen apart. I, I don't know if you've just received a, a, a diagnosis from the doctor that is just absolutely scaring you. But what begins to happen is that our world starts to spin. We start to get so afraid, and, and I think we actually begin to ask ourselves the same questions that the disciples ask. God, are you asleep? God, are you aware of what's happening right now? Do you have any clue what's going on? God, have you abandoned me? Because I don't see you. I, I don't feel you. And we start to panic, and we start to get afraid. And what Jesus is trying to teach us is that even when it's grim, and even when it's dark, that you don't need to fear because he's here. So I want to walk you through a section of scripture that has fast become one of my favorite pieces of scripture in the entire Bible. And the reason I want to show it to you is that I want to make a case for you. I want to prove to you beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is absolutely aware of what's going on in your life, that God is absolutely present in every moment of your life. About two weeks ago, I had the honor of performing a, um, a funeral for a girl who passed away of cancer at the age of 33. And when I visited her in the hospital, we prayed over her and we anointed her with oil 
And as we began to pray, the, the Lord laid on my heart Psalm 139. And at her funeral, we, we, we preached through Psalm 139 because this was a woman who understood that she didn't need to be afraid even when there was something to be afraid of. Even at the very end, she was never scared because God was in control of her life. And I want to walk you through what I walked her through. King David, Psalm 139, says this. God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. You saw me before I was even born. God, God you, you created me with your own hands, every single one of you here. He custom-tailored you. He knit you together. In fact, he saw each and every single one of you as a final product, your entire life, what you would be before you even took your first breath. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. It continues. You see me when I travel. And when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. This lets us know that every single one of us serves a God who is intimately knowledgeable about our life. We don't serve some far-off God. We don't serve some God who's uninterested and uninvolved. We don't serve some God who created the world and just let it spin itself out of control, leaving us by ourselves, not at all. We serve a God who is intimately knowledgeable about your life, your circumstances, your situations, and your fears. And then David says something absolutely incredible. Lord, you go before me, and you follow me. And for my money, this is one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. We don't know what our future holds. None of us know. It's an impossibility. Can't do it. But God does. And this lets you know that in this moment, as I'm speaking, as you're listening, in this very moment, God is in your future. Just waiting for you to get there. And somehow, in some way, in some divine miracle, some divine mystery, he is simultaneously in your future and walking right behind you, following you, making sure you get there safely. You know what that means? God never leaves you. That, that he's walking ahead of you, clearing a path. He's walking behind you, watching your back, and that he's walking alongside of you, keeping you company. That's the creator of the universe doing that. That's an amazing promise. But then he says something incredibly encouraging. Every day, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Here's what this means. You may not understand what's happening in your life right now. In a million years, you never saw it coming. But God did. In fact, he knew about it before you even took your first breath. You may have been surprised by it, but nothing surprises God. And this, 
is why Jesus taught his disciples that you don't need to be afraid. Even when there is something to be afraid of. But in spite of this teaching, in spite of all the boat lessons, all the lectures, those disciples, they did not fear not. Right up until the very end, until Jesus got arrested, those guys were scared of everything. When Jesus got arrested, they could not have run away any faster. When Jesus needed them the most, they abandoned him. However, when the Gospels come to a close, those same disciples emerge fearless. Something happens. It wasn't another lesson. It wasn't another boat ride. Okay? It wasn't more scripture. It was because they saw the resurrection. With their own eyes, they saw their friend Jesus Christ rise from the grave as the Messiah. And once they saw Jesus Christ conquer death, they were fearless. They would go anywhere. They would do anything. They would say anything. They were as bold as soldiers. They were completely transformed because they saw that the last great enemy, death, had been defeated. And when they lost their fear of death, they feared not. This is the foundation of everything that we do. Th this right here is what sets you free. The early Christians, they understood this. There are Christians in other parts of the world who understand this. We as American Christians, we struggle. We struggle with this. But when you stake your eternity on the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the grave, when you lean on what Jesus said, that you are not to fear the one who can only kill your body. For us, you don't need to fear the disease that can only kill your body. You don't need to fear the foreclosure. You don't need to fear the loss of a job. You don't need to fear the scary diagnosis. And you revere the one who's in control of your soul when you fear God, then and only then, what began as a seemingly impossible command, fear not, becomes a way of life. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this, right? So the first thing I want to say is this. If it's your first time at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. <clears throat> so let me say this. I am not so naive as to think that you're going to leave here today after hearing this message being fearless, okay? This is tough stuff. This is why fear not falls into the category of being seemingly impossible because it is very difficult. And if you want to have any kind of success in this part of your life, you are going to have to actively engage your fear muscles, as I'll call it. Every single day, every single hour, maybe for some of you, every single moment, you are going to have to constantly, constantly remind yourself and fall back on the promises of God. But I want to give you just two practicals to help you kind of work your way towards this goal of not being afraid. So <clears throat> here's what I want you to do. Think of a fear. Just what is that one fear 
for you? Probably pretty easy for you to think about because you've probably been thinking about it all sermon. In fact, you probably think about that fear all the time. It's probably always in your head. It's always in the back of your mind. It's always gnawing at you. It's draining your energy. Now, here's what I want you to do. Imagine waking up tomorrow free from that. Just imagine the alarm goes off tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and you no longer have that fear. How would you feel? Would you not breathe easier? Would there not be a bounce in your step? Would, you not, would your relationships not improve? Would you not have more time for your wife, more time for your husband, more time for your kids? Would you not be out of your own head and more present in the world? Don't you think Jesus knew that if you were to not be afraid, that you would be a more productive member of society? Notice I didn't say the issue. The issue's still there. That issue has not been re- removed, but you're just no longer afraid of it because you've chosen to no longer fear it. Part two. Take that same fear, okay? Take that same fear. Now I want you to ask, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, really think about that. What is the worst that, because you probably also ask this question of yourself all the time. And, and the picture that your mind paints, okay, the scenario that your mind paints, that thing that's, that's looming out in the future that's so dark, I guarantee you are frightened to death of that scenario that you've created. But here's what I know because you're all humans. When you imagine that worst-case scenario, you imagine it without Jesus. Now, you may never have thought that, but I guarantee that's the case. Because... The reason, here's what I believe at least, the reason I think that we're so afraid, the reason we're afraid of losing our job, the reason we're afraid of our marriage falling apart, the reason we're afraid of going to the doctors and getting that diagnosis that we don't want to hear is because we imagine a future where Jesus is not present, where we now have to conquer this thing all by ourselves in our own strength, and that, my friends, is scary. But let me ask you a question. If you were here during the last series, we talked about Jonah. We learned that God will do whatever he has to do. He will pursue you to the ends of the world to bring you back, to win you back. You think he's just going to abandon you when you need him most? He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, the most painful death there is. He, He put the Holy Spirit inside of you. The third part of the Trinity, God himself lives inside of you. He knitted you together with his hands. He saw your entire life before you even took a breath. He wrote out everything, was laid before him in a book. You think he did all of that just to abandon you when you need him most? Not our God. Not our God. My goal is not to minimize what's happening in your life. Because I guarantee some of you are going through some really scary stuff. My goal is just to let you know what Jesus said. That you don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. If we can begin to internalize this, if we can begin to understand this, if we can begin to make progress towards the goal of obeying this command, you will absolutely be set free in this world.
you will absolutely start living for once when you fear not. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we can all come here today. Lord, because we're all human, I know that we're all afraid. And Lord, you know what we're struggling with. And God, some people in this room right now have got some really scary stuff going on. I pray in this moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would touch them. Lord, that they would know today that they don't need to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. Lord, that you have promised to be with us. You have promised to never leave us. Lord, that even when our worlds are spinning out of our control, you have it in your control. You walk before us, Lord. You walk behind us. You have promised to never leave us, especially when we need you most. Embolden us, Lord. Help us, God, to, to try to walk towards the goal of living a life of not being afraid, God, because you died on the cross so that we could be set free from that. You died on the cross to conquer death, Lord, and when we see that death is no more, we can fear not. Lord, I ask all of this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen.